Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Capitalize for Kids podcast. In this week's episode, we speak with Lisa Lisson, the president of FedEx Canada. Now, I so enjoyed this conversation with Lisa, as we touched on a lot, but perhaps what I enjoyed the most was hearing her philosophy around resilience, a word that is often thrown around, but in her case, uh, applied like I've never seen before. You know, to be appointed as the first Canadian, let alone the first woman, into her role as President Prophetics Canada comes with its own set of obstacles to overcome. But Lisa's journey is so much more than that. And after listening to our conversation, you will hopefully understand why. So without any more yapping from me, here is my conversation with Lisa. One of the things I really learned is how, from a marketing degree, how important culture is. And there's this, there's this expression that's out there that says, your culture will eat your strategy for breakfast if you don't nurture and enhance your culture. And so for me, when I finished school, it was really important for me to take time to research companies and their culture um, because I really wanted to work for a good one. So what really kind of intrigued me about FedEx when I read about it is that um, an article that I happened to read really talked about how FedEx just won some best employer award and it talked about how good the culture was. So that really intrigued me. And I really got to understand the culture, which is, which is living PSP, which is treat your people with trust and respect. They will deliver the service that your customers need. And that will also then deliver the profit to turn back into investing in your people and your customers. So it's like a three-legged stool. So I really liked how it started and ended with people. So I'm like, I have to go work at FedEx. I need to get there. So, um, so I decided that I didn't even know if they were hiring. So I decided to get, you know, put on my suit and get my, my resume all done up. And then I decided that I did a little bit of research. I phoned uh, the head office and I found out who was the director of marketing at the time and who was her assistant and got her name, Peggy. And then I came to FedEx, went to the front desk and said, I have a delivery for Peggy. Could she please come out? Because I didn't want them to just take it. And I said, I'd like to personally hand it to Peggy. They didn't know who I was. Was I a delivery person, you know? So Peggy came out and I said, oh, hi, Peggy. My name is Lisa. And I said, um, listen, I, uh, I just like to hand you my resume. I've read so much about this company and the culture and the people. Like, you must really love working here. And she's like, oh, I do. And people always like to talk when you ask them questions. That, and so she went on and on about just how much she loved the culture, the people, and I said, well, would you mind taking my resume? It would be my dream to work here, Peggy. And I said, by the way, do you have children? She's like, oh, yes, I do. I've got a daughter that'll be graduating next year. And I said, well, I hope when she's looking for a job that she can find a Peggy to help her like you're helping me. And I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to talk to me, to take my resume. I'm so grateful. And then the next day I sent Peggy flowers. And then a couple of days later, her boss um, said, Hey, you know, I, I, I just got approval to hire an entry level marketing person. And Peggy out of the stack of resumes pulled mine out and says, have I got a gal for you? And that was, that was uh, 28 years ago, this past January. That gives me shivers. That's a, that's a, that's a yes. lesson in how to, how to skip a resume pile. Well, absolutely. And I mentor, I go and speak at a lot of universities. I, I speak at high schools. And one of the things that I try and teach um, individuals going out for looking for jobs is you've got to find a way to create your own unique 
uh, value proposition. Like, what do you have to offer? How can you network? How can you break in to um, that company beyond just sending your application and online? Try and find a connection. Try and find a unique way. So when you you know send it online, maybe personally go and go and deliver it. Um, try and find out who works there. Try and make yourself unique and stand out because you'll get noticed, and that's very important. Absolutely, and it's almost it's almost the first P in in PSP, right? The people piece. It's people. it's connecting with people. That's the most important thing. And you know what? It always has been, and it always will in business and in life. Is that people connection will help you go far. It'll help you achieve your goals. It's 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 very very important. And and since that day, you've continued to work at FedEx. Is that right? That is correct. Like I said, twenty eight years. Wow. And so, I I think that's phenomenal. It's such an impressive, um, you know, tenure at at a company. I'm sure it hasn't been, you know, a straight path. Maybe it has. I'd love to kind of hear a bit about what that's looked like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, look at people in my position, whether you're a president of a company and think, oh, it, it must have just been a straight path and super easy. And what I can tell you, what I know from other people in my position, is that it's never a straight path. There's zigs and zags, and you need to be open to the fact that you're going to hit some curve bumps and some like life forces that will hit you on your way up. And for me, I, I actually had a pretty monumental one. Um, as I was working my way up in my career, um, became entry level, then manager, then director, and then vice president, while also having four kids along the way, because I'm, I'm, I mentor a lot of people and I tell them, you can have a career and you can have a family and one should not come at the expense of another. And I firmly believe that. Um, so when I was a vice president and um, I married my high school sweetheart, which is also very rare, you know, 28 years with FedEx at one company and married my high school sweetheart, met him in grade nine, also kind of rare. Um, no doubt. Wow. Yeah, that's also uh, quite unique. Uh, so I hear people tell me, but uh, I was a vice president at the time. He was working his way up. We had four kids, as I mentioned. We had uh, three daughters, nine, seven, and five. And, and my son at the time was three. And we we would rent a place up north. Um, there's lots of beautiful places to rent up in northern Ontario. So we pick a different lake and a cottage to rent. And we just come home from renting up north and uh, put the kids to bed. Sunday night and getting ready to go back to the grind of work the next day. And, um, and uh, I hear a thump in the middle of the night. And I unfortunately found my husband laying on the floor and he had what we found out had suffered a massive heart attack. And so uh, paramedics came and they took him to our local hospital. And the doctors had said to me, look, we're going to kind of put him in a, in a drug induced coma because unfortunately his brain was out, was out oxygen for quite some time. So they went ahead and did that. And then about after a, a week or so, they said, we're going to try and wake him up. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't waking up. So this team of doctors, Evan, that was basically staring at me saying, you need to let him go. There's not going to be any meaningful life. And I said to this team of doctors, is, there a, is he brain dead or is there a flicker? And they said, yes, there is a flicker. He's not brain dead. And the next question I said was, do miracles happen in this hospital? And as we know, miracles happen every single day. You just don't know if you're going to get it, but you can't give up until you know whether it's coming or not. So they said yes. And I said, then you hook him up to what you need to because he's 38 years old and I need to know if I'm going to get my miracle. For the next two years, Evan, I, um, uh, he was in a vegetative state. I was trying everything to wake up his brain. 
I was bringing him home on Sundays. They trained me how to take care of him. He couldn't see, he couldn't speak. He really wasn't there. So I'm trying to take care of him, trying to take care of our four kids and trying to keep my job as a vice president going. Talk about managing a lot on your plate. Anyway, after two years, I, you know, I realized he wasn't coming back. His body was getting very sick because he wasn't moving. And I had to, I was forced to, like, I had to come to the decision to let him go. And a year after he passed away, um, I get a call from Memphis. And they said, congratulations. And I said, well, for what? And they said, you're now going to be the first Canadian and the first female to ever run a division of FedEx around the world. And that was a year after he passed away. So if you think about me getting this to this position, it was not easy. I had to juggle many things and probably one of the most unimaginable things, which is, you know, not only losing my husband, but seeing him in a vegetative state for two years, praying for a miracle that didn't come. And I'm not alone. There's a lot of people that, I would say everyone's got a story. Someone's dealing with something, unfortunately, whether it's a, a breakup or, or someone lost a child. Or you, Everyone's got a story. You never know. That's what we talked about earlier on, about how important that personal connection is because you never know what's going on behind closed doors for people. And that's why kindness matters. And I share this story so openly because I want people to know if anyone's struggling or feeling like, you know, for me, I didn't give up on my goal to become president, even after I suffered one of the most devastating losses of my life, um, I was able to get through it. And I share my story to tell people there is light in the tunnel. You have to stay strong and you got to just find ways to strengthen that resilience muscle that we are actually all born with. That's incredible. I'm, thank you so much for, for sharing that, first of all. Um, Resilience is 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 certainly a word that comes to mind when I hear that story. But I just can't imagine being in that position and and still keeping your your eye on uh, on the prize, so to speak, and your finger on the pulse of the goal that you had set, you know, years prior. It's 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 easy to be derailed and and totally understandable to be derailed in that position um, to focus on yourself and on your family. Um, but but you chose to also keep you know uh, steady the, the the career path and. Tactically, if you don't mind me asking, like, how do you do that? Everyone's going to go through something, either that grave or or, or worse or, or not so, you know. But it's all relative. How do you continue to keep your eye on the prize? Or how do you continue to to wake up every morning and say, I got to get you know to work and do these emails and go through those mundane tasks when you're hurting? Yeah. So great question. So I'll tell you. So initially, after he passed away, when I realized I wasn't getting my miracle. Um, it was some of the most dark, dark days and times of my life because um, what I was doing is I was waking up every morning saying, I can't do this. I can't raise four kids by myself. I can't. How can I carry on my goal of becoming the first female and the first Canadian president? And I was doing that and doing that. And what was happening is I was just sinking. I wasn't swimming and I was just starting to sink. And it was my mom who really kind of set me on this journey to really discover resilience. And she said to me, Lisa, you have to remember this. Life isn't about what happens to you. It's about what you choose to do with what happens. You have a choice. So when we hit, when we get these life forces that hit us, either personally or professionally, and our life is spinning out of control, we always have to remember we do have some control. And the control we have is how we respond to that. 
So I realized I was responding with all the wrong attitudes, which is giving up before I, st- I was even trying. So that started to change my frame of reference to wake up in the morning and say, I've got this. I'm going to be happy again. Don't know how. Things are going to be better than good. And I started telling myself that every single morning. And what I came to realize, Evan, is that the most important conversation we have in life is with ourselves. Because Mm -hmm. we believe what we tell ourselves. So when I was saying, I can't do this, then I might as well quit. Just like when you go and you're going to interview for your dream job. If you're telling yourself, oh my gosh, I'm going to bomb this, you're probably going to bomb it. So I started to realize how powerful that inner voice was. And I started changing my self-talk, even though I didn't have a plan, changing my self-talk. I started to realize every morning when we wake up, we can pick our attitude like we pick our outfit. You either can have a positive attitude and say it's a great day for a great day and believe great things are coming. Or you can wake up and say, what else is going to go wrong today? It's our choice. Nobody else but us. So I started to do it. Now, it takes a lot to get your mind to start thinking this way. But it takes as much energy to think positive as it does to think negative. So I always say people choose positive because who wants to live the other way? So that is how I started doing this. And I also researched, you know, how successful people overcame these great odds. Evan, I always thought maybe they were born that way and they're special. What I came to realize is that resilience is not something you have to be born with. It's something that you can, you can, you can, it's like a muscle that you can strengthen because all resilience is, is learning to find a way to overcome something, whatever that is, and come out stronger than when you started. And when I started to understand the power of resilience about your thoughts and your attitude and believing in yourself, because that's also something I was doubting myself. So I started to believe in myself by saying, I've got this, because if we can't believe in ourselves, then why would we expect anyone else to believe in ourselves? So the power of the thought got me going initially and just kept going with that to start to move down this path of trying to get through this and get through it stronger than when I started. Also, too, I will add that what a lot of resilient people do, which I've learned, is that we can't look back because we're not going that way. So what I found, Evan, is I was either also, too, in those early days, either living in the past, which was doing me no good, or I was worrying about the future. And there's this great quote that I read by Joyce Mayer, and it says, worrying about the future is like putting a down payment on a problem you may never, ever have. So I also start to live in 24-hour increments to get me through those tough times where I'm only going to look back for a life lesson, and I'm certainly not going to worry about the future because it was robbing me of the moment I was in. So I also made a conscious effort to be aware of my thoughts, my attitude, but making sure I was maximizing the most time I had right in front of me Because you know what? Nobody on this planet, no matter who you are or what you do, nobody knows what tomorrow brings. So we cannot waste the 24 precious hours in front of us. I love that. I I love that. Um, And I don't want to lose those those quotes. I don't want to lose that first one, which is uh, you you choose your attitude like you choose your outfit, which is incredible. And I've chosen some very poor outfits in quarantine, let me tell you, some of which yeah. aren't even considered outfits. So, but I think that choosing the right attitude is something we can all all make make an effort um, for. I, lo- I really appreciate that perspective, Lisa. Thank you. Um, oh, sure. and, and and you mentioned, you know, that you, you were you were 
reading about some of your executives or, or famous people who've, or successful people, I should say, who've, who've overcome adversities and how they did it. Um, and you also mentioned that that you typically do some mentorship in in uh, in your in your current role and 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 previously, it, were there mentors to you at that time or or throughout your career that have been helpful and and um, maybe also tell me a little bit about uh, some of the mentorship that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentor quite a lot of women and men, and um, and I, I can honestly tell you I would not be sitting here without them. I had mentors and sponsors. I still have them today. Um, and so for me, how it's helped my career is that, um, when I was, so first of all, I'll, I'll answer that question by saying this, the most successful people in life are the ones that have goals written down both personally and professionally. Okay. Short term and long term. It is a proven fact, but it's more than just writing down your goals. It is t- talking about them with other people because you never know how a connection can open up. We talked about the power of communication network. So write them down, talk about them with others, um, figure out what baby steps you can take towards those goals. And how you do that is carving out white space on the calendar, which is huge, which I'll come to a little bit later. So when I had written down the goal, when I was just an individual contributor, entry level at FedEx, I wanted to be a manager. In my kind of quiet pause and reflection time, I said, what baby step? could I take towards that goal? And what came to me was, I should maybe go and ask if I could have coffee with the manager of finance, the manager of engineering, the manager of H, anyone I could meet and say, could I have 30 minutes of your time? Because I'd like you to share with me your career playbook. What are the three things that you did that you believe were successful in getting you a manager position And what are the three things that you wish you'd done differently? People love talking about themselves. So all of a sudden, they started opening up doors. And then I went one step further and said, would you mind mentoring me for the next six months? That's all I'm going to ask. I'm only going to ask for 30 minutes of your time once a month. And I will send you the questions in advance to make this as easy as possible for you. But can you share with me in more detail your career playbook? Okay. I did that every single level of my career, and I still have mentors today because as human beings, we need to always find ways to continue to improve and grow. So I'm always looking for ways how I can be a better leader, a better mother, a better friend, because as we grow, we just become better people. None of us are perfect. We all have our, you know, our issues that we have to deal with. And so... So I now give that back to the people that I mentor. They're trying to become a manager or a director or even working their way to a president. I share all that I did in the hopes that it will help them. That makes a lot of sense in in, in how you're saying it, which I appreciate because it's, you you broke it down into very simple steps, which I think a lot of, a lot of listeners are going to appreciate. Um, I hope so because it's a daunting task to go up to them and say, Hey, would you be my mentor? Especially someone that might be, three or four levels above you, or maybe not even your, in your own company. And that's why I tell people, just do the six months, 30 minutes. And if they say they're too busy, then just say, okay, can I just have one 30-minute session? Now, unfortunately, we can't do coffee, but one 30-minute, we'll have to do Zoom, one 30-minute call with you. you. can spare me 30 minutes, and I just would like you to a- answer these couple questions. And you get some tremendous advice and you pick what you think will work for you to develop your own unique and authentic leadership style. 
And let me ask you on the, on the flip side of that, um, how do you in the seat of a, of a mentor choose, choose your mentees? Cause I, I would imagine that you're having people reach out to you all the time asking for, for 30 minutes of your time. And if you commit to all of them, all of a sudden your week is gone. So how do you choose where to allocate your time um, that way? Yeah. So what I do is this. So um, I only can take on, you know, so many on the six month rotating, right? But I will always say yes to the 30 minutes once. So I don't turn people, don't turn them down. And then for those that I have the one 30 minute, then I'll say, okay, the minute I can get free up some space, I'll take you on. So I really don't, I don't ever say no to anybody. Wow. They will either get 30 minutes of my time or when I can bring them into the six month ro uh, rotation cycle. But I always will give people some of my time to help them. And I do get a lot. Now it might not be right away. Also, I'll give you 30 minutes. It might be in a couple of months. I, my poor assistant, I drive her crazy because I'm like, here's another one. Let's go. And she's like, oh my gosh. I go, does that be right away? Pick them in. So I think it's just so important to do that, you know? Incredibly generous of you to, to do that with your time. But, you know, you could, philanthropy comes in, in so many shapes and, and sizes. And, and um, you know, we always say the capitalize for kids. You can, you can give, uh, you can donate your time, treasure, or talent. Uh, yeah. And and for you to donate your time and 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 give insights on your talents and and yeah. and, and help foster those of, of others is, is incredibly generous. So um, that's well, that's. By the that's way, great. I just want to thank you. I just want to say I think it's wonderful what you guys do. I think it's wonderful what you do. Like I when I found out about your your cause and what you do, I just it, I just think it's absolutely incredible because mental illness is and is such a big deal, even more so right now during this pandemic. You've got. You think of all these kids that are homeschooled or, you know, doing online that are frustrated, they don't have the connection, but you can read right now, anxiety is through the roof, mental, mental issues are through the roof, stress is through the roof. So what you folks do is now more important than ever. And I think it's amazing that you do this. Absolutely. No, I appreciate you saying that. I know that the, the entire team at Capitalize for Kids will appreciate you saying that. Uh, and, and we think so as well. We think that, you know, especially right now, to your point, getting access to services is, is crucial. Yeah. Right. It's the it's the most important thing that, you know, the, the safe at home uh, concept is is not true across across the board. Not all home situations are created equal. And so uh, it's it's imperative that we you know are able to provide access to, to services for for youth in across the Canada. So, um, no, I certainly appreciate you saying that. Um, and, and I know that you've had experience as well. Uh, that's touched you uh, intimately uh, with mental health. Um, and, and would love for you to, to share some of that story. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, um, I, I think the statistic is one in five people, it might even be higher now, um, will, will, where mental illness will affect them in some way, whether it's personally, whether it's through family, a family, a friend, uh, et cetera. Um, I've got six brothers, and one of my brothers um, really battles with, um, with mental illness. And, and in fact, he's tried to commit suicide a few times. Luckily, it's, it's been a few years now, um, but he has really, really struggled. And so we just, we're trying to do our, you know, we're doing our best to help them the best way we can. And I speak very openly about that. And I'm also very passionate about um, having mental uh, health and, and support programs at FedEx. We have a massive one here. You know, one of the things that I have at every single station across Canada for my employees, it says, it's okay to not be okay. And it's very important that we let everybody know that whether what your age is no matter who you are or if you're six it doesn't matter everyone has down days 
And everyone needs to know that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to not be judged and it's okay to feel support. So that's why I speak so openly about my family situation. Of course, the real tough time I had after my husband died, um, that we have to share these stories so people know they're not alone and it's okay to talk about it because, you know, people want to help. And uh, I'm very, very, I feel very strongly about any work that anyone is doing in, in mental health awareness and getting people the help that they need. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And I think that the, the, the messaging across, uh, across FedEx that you, you mentioned that you have at each station is fantastic. And it's, but it's not only that, right? Cause as a leader, you need to, you also need to walk the walk and it's, it's easy to ask other people to be vulnerable and, and to, to ask of others to, to share their experience and to, to say that it's okay to not be okay. But for you, to come out and open, be so open about your experiences where you, you, you know, perhaps weren't okay and, and how you got through that and, and sharing your, your vulnerable uh, m- moments is, is what makes that safe space in that, in that comfortable setting where people can do that. Um, which is hard to find in a corporate world, right? In any corporate yeah. setting, it's, it's very tough to find that. Yeah. Well, I was, you know, when I did my video and then I, I did the video talking about how it affected me for all my employees and then some of my other staff members uh, in management, opened up it was just optional because some people are not comfortable talking and that is totally fine so my other managers went ahead and did it but what was really great is we then had a courier who came forward and he said i really struggle with mental health and i'd love to share my story and i my, i almost started like crying because i was like are you sure like and he said no i want to do this and he did a video for us talking about how he struggled and i was so incredibly proud of him i can't even tell you um but it just it just goes to show when you open up show your vulnerability then it allows people to feel comfortable sharing theirs back 100 percent. i i really get a sense that your your leadership style is i don't know if it's lead from behind or or you know eat last or whatever it is but it seems like you're you put yourself uh, at an equilibrium with with every level of of employees um of employee uh and and i think that's that's fantastic has that always been your approach or yeah so i mean i'm a firm believer in what they call servant leadership which is really an upside down pyramid and so really how i view my role is i'm here to serve my employees in the sense that it is my job to make sure they've got the tools the products the support both mentally both physically Obviously, now on the on the PPE um, to keep them healthy and to keep them safe. So I always say to my employees, they create my to do list. So when I you know go out in the field or when I'm on calls with my managers and I say, look at what's working, what's not working, how can I help you? The best ideas come from our frontline employees that are dealing with our customers every day, and that's truly how I view my role. You know, I always say this: my title does not define me. My title is an enabler to help others. And that's a difference between a boss and a leader, you know, and there's lots of articles on this where they say a boss will just tell, doesn't listen. And a leader will listen and will ask. And uh, I'm just a firm believer in that. Cause at the end of the day, we're all human beings. I get up and put my tooth in the ground, just like all my careers do all my customer service reps. We all have an employee ID number. Um, but my job is to make sure that they have what they need to do their job. And you did that firsthand, right, uh, on national television, uh, from, oh, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's right. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah, that was an interesting story because when they when they came to my my communications team and said we really want her to do this, my first reaction was, "Oh my gosh, no!" Because I would be going undercover and I would be like tricking, if you will, my employees. So I'm like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, No, no, no. We've watched a bunch of episodes. I'm like, Okay, well, the only way I'm going to do this if I phone other presidents and I who've done it and I ask them how do the employees react? Were they upset? Were they this? Were they that? So I phoned a whole bunch of previous presidents that did it. Every single one of them said, A, it was the best experience of their life because they really got to go and work side by side, you know, as a human being to a human being, not president to. Um, and they also said that it gave them real insights and the, the feedback was overwhelming. So it was only because they told me that there was no issue about the employees feeling that you were tricking them. Cause that was my biggest concern. And now looking back, I can say it's one of the best experiences of my career working side by side. And I sure did mess up and it made me realize how tough it is for our employees, you know, out there. And, you know, like it's, we do different, different jobs, but it gave me a whole new appreciation for, for everything that they do for our customers day in and day out. I would imagine it was a number of years ago and, and those insights uh, like you said, were, were probably invaluable to you. How have you continued to to try and um, hone in on those insights? You know, working side by side with without being recognized as a president, so you can be an equal with with you know the courier or whoever it is at FedEx. Oh, absolutely. So what I will tell you is this: so um, one of my mentors said to me, "You can't lead from behind a desk, and you need to burn lots of shoe leather." Well, burn lots of shoe leather means get out there. Get with meet as many as employees as you can nonstop. So you're walking so much, you're, you're burning the treads off your shoes. So obviously, pre-COVID, we would do town halls at least twice a year where every single station would have myself or a vice president or a managing director. I would do a video that would go out to all of them, but I would hit the stations, get up, do a little, play the video about what's going on, speak a little bit, but to basically say, what's working, what's not working, how can I help you? And we've been doing those for many, many years. Um, the other thing that we also do is we create um, employee ambassadors, if you will. So let's say we want to launch a new policy or something. We'll run it by these employee ambassadors to get their feedback, to make sure we're not missing the mark. So we value our employees' feedback so much that because it, it's we're doing stuff for them. So if we don't ask them what they what they think before we implement something, then shame on us. So. We've got quite a lot of courier roundtables, customer service roundtables. You know, we do surveys with our employees, you know, right, right now, as an example, you know, we've got our salaried staff working from home. You know, we go by what the, the medical community states, which is, you know, unfortunately, our numbers are up right now and, and we're in the second wave. But I just did a survey to our employees that um, don't work out in the field, but work in the head offices to say, how are you doing? Um, when we when we can bring you back to work, are you able to? Do you have childcare support? You know, do you want to come back? Because I want to make sure when we design our return to office program that we have their feedback and make sure it's the right thing for them. So that's just another example of staying connected to your employees and asking them for their feedback. I cannot stress enough how important that is. So, so it sounds like you've been you've been um, making sure to, to to maintain those touch points and have some of those town halls turn virtual. I would imagine. Yeah. So, well, in fact, so I would say we always had great communications prior to COVID and this pandemic. We've ramped them up now. So, 
Um, so I've increased the amount of, um, like last week, for example, I had every single manager and above on a Zoom call. Um, so we it just increased the communications that we're doing to make sure we're staying close and understanding if there's any, any concerns they have for their health and safety. So we just ramped up our communications even more so, which is so important. I mean, anyone that's running any type of company, nonprofit, you have to check with your people during tough times, whether it's an economic downturn, whether it's through a pandemic, you have to increase your communications because as we said earlier on the stress level, the anxiety goes through the roof during tough, tough challenging times and you need to, need to stay more connected than ever. Let me, let me ask you a question, Lisa, that um, obviously you're, you're a very goal-oriented person, uh, as, as you've mentioned. Uh, and I'm curious, now that you've you know, reached your position at, at, at FedEx, and um, it, how, how do you keep pushing goals in front of you, both you know, professionally speaking, because I would imagine that you've, you've hit most of your career goals, and, and how do you now continue to have career goals at that? once you've reached the top, so to speak. Um, and how are you thinking about that? I'm, I'd, I'd love to know. Yeah, so just a couple things on that. So, uh, you know, in terms of um, on the career side, so I am on the, I am on the board of the Sick Kids Foundation and I have been uh, on that board now for I believe about nine years. And I have been sharing the Human Resource and Comp Committee and did my, my term there. Uh, and now I actually am co-chairing the next strategic campaign for the hospital foundation with my good partner, Christian Lasson. So I'm really excited about that. So and one of the things I always want to do is get more involved on the, on the foundation, on the strategic side. So I have that written down. So that's just come to fruition. Um, I'm also on the board of the business council, which is about 165 CEOs across Canada. And, um, and uh, so I had that written down as a goal. So for me now, one of the next things is I'd like to do is um, I'd like to actually get on a on actually on a corporate board because I chose for my board I wanted to make it for sure nonprofit. So on my on my goal list now is I'd like to get on a on a uh, corporate board. So that's that's on my list. Um, and now that my kids are older, because as I mentioned earlier on, they were nine, seven, five, and three when my husband passed away. They're much older now, and so now I have the the opportunity to be a bit you know mobile. So you know, at some point, perhaps I'd like to maybe go and work in another division of, of FedEx, um, take on new challenges, learning new culture. So that's something that I think would, would excite me as well. And then also, too, um, what's on my list is I want to try and maybe find a way to do to, you know, do more in terms of um, helping women more, especially right now, because you know, you can read in the reports right now that the pandemic is hitting more working women than they are men. So a lot of the women I'm mentoring have had to take a, a, a leave from work because they can't keep their job going at home and hit their deadlines while looking after a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old. So I just joined something called the Prosperity Project with 65 other women. And our goal is to try and help make sure that we don't lose the ground that we've made towards working towards equality uh, with women. So part of me wants to try and figure out how I can lean into that more and find a way to help women more than what I'm doing right now, which is being part of this group, as well as all the mentoring I'm doing. I'm just trying to find a way from a career, but also personal, how I can give back more to help uh, more women, especially through this pandemic, which 
you know, right now, unfortunately, we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You're absolutely right. The, the data sh is used heavily towards, you know, women being negatively affected for, for the various reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, it, are there are there things that I'm I'm a, I'm a guy, a male, um, you know, I, I live alone. Um, but what are things that that we could be doing, perhaps, um, you know, from my lens, what are things that, that we could be doing that are that are productive um, to, to help kind of further that cause? Yeah. So, I mean, just to have a voice. So for example, like um, on the, on the, on the business council call, I was just on and I was raising this awareness, which they were aware of, but I just think to, to um, offer suggestions. So for example, as opposed to women, maybe um, pulling out of the workforce altogether right now, maybe there's a way for companies to um, give them a special project, um, extend some timelines. So just try and find a way to give them some work that they can do like at home while raising their, their kids as opposed to retracting altogether. So to me, I'm like someone like yourself to maybe have a voice, you know, if, if, you know, just to other companies to say, you know, what, let's have a brainstorming session on what we can do to support those women right now who want to have a career, who want to work, but had to take a step back because they just can't do it with their, how can we find ways to accommodate them? Like, as another example, okay, if their partners are off Saturday and Sunday, then is there a way to give them projects that they could actually get done on a Saturday? How do we create that flexibility so women can raise their kids at home, they're helping with online, but also still maintain a connection to the working environment? And to me, we all need to be brainstorming ideas to help, to help women. That's such a that's such a a great point. Um, it always reminds me of I remember listening to uh, to an architect one time who mentioned that he was talking about uh, the way that we have stairs in certain places and it's and they're um, they they're inhib they inhibit you know uh, disabled and and uh, folks in in wheelchairs from from getting upstairs and. Um, how how the, the simple change in structure of a ramp is is such an enabler and it's such a simple construct that that opens up so much more accessibility and so much more freedom and equality um and, and all you're taking is really you're smoothing the stairs and it's it's such a simple answer and, and, and i totally i totally agree with your point i think that it's it's really thinking about the structures that have been set up and, and how can yeah. we shift those around to, yeah. to how can how can we operate differently you know the one thing I will tell you at FedEx before the pandemic hit is that I already had a whole bunch of people working from home because employees came to me and said, look at like, would you be okay with me working from home? And for these reasons, I need to, no problem. So I had customer service reps already working from home before this hit. I had um, my customs brokers who clear inbound packages working from home. And then with the professional staff, they had, they were already coming to me saying, "Can we have more, can we have flexible work arrangements where, you know, I need to drop off my kids or my mom can't come look after my kids till noon? So could I work like noon to nine versus eight? Absolutely. So so we started down this path of creating flexibility for men and women who are you know dropping kids off at daycare and can't work those traditional nine to five hours. So we need to do those things that are just you know, there's such high impact and so important initiatives to 
to accommodate. Um, and there's probably a lot of ideas out there, even more than I've shared today, as long as we collectively all put our, put our heads together. But we have to find a way to think differently about how men and women work in this new world we're sitting in right now. Absolutely right. Um, we hit on, on a lot today in this conversation, a little bit of, of, of everything uh, touching a lot of places. And um, before we before we do uh, come to a close, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share anything or, or um, you know, give any any last words or, or, or mention anything um, that you might want to, to share to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So what I will say is this, is that, you know, in life, we're going to be hit by life forces, whether it be personally or professionally, some big, some small, and just the way life is. And it's just so important that um, we learn to let go of the things we can't control by focusing on the things we can. So when things hit us in life, personally and professionally, you have to look at that thing and say, can I control or influence this? If the answer is yes, jump in on it. If the answer is no, then you have to let it go by replacing that energy on something that you can control because it stops you wasting all your time and energy on focusing on things that are out of our control. And we lose a lot of precious time and energy focusing on things we can't control. So that's one very important thing. Second thing I will say is I talked about white space. It's so important to carve out time for yourself, especially if you you know have younger kids or even children in general that... You know, you're not a mom, you're not a partner, even if you don't have, you have to carve out time for you to pause and reflect both personally and professionally. So I have, I have a white space at work when I'm at work, but I'm just pausing and reflecting on my goals and where I'm at. But we also have to do that personally. So, you know, I always say, I'm saying a lot to the working women right now, or even the, the ones that are at home that have taken a, a leave from work is you have to ask your partner to have those kids and so you can get out and go to yoga or go meditate. You have to carve out time for you because even if it's an hour or two a week, anything is better than zero. Because if you can't take care of yourself, how can you take care of everyone else? You have to get off this Ferris wheel of life and carve out time, even if it's to go sit under a tree and read a book. Like that is so important. A lot of people say to me, how do you run the company and, and sick kids and raising four kids plus one? Because my daughter's boyfriend is living with me and I have five dogs. I will say the number one thing is carving out quiet time for me. You don't need a lot. So it's very important. You find time for you. Um, and the last thing I will say is just pay attention to that inner voice. It's the most important conversation you will have in your life. We believe what we tell ourselves. We attract what we think. So keep telling yourself, I've got this. I'm going to make it happen. Even if you don't have a plan on how you're going to get to where you want to go, just keep thinking about those baby steps. And don't get, get, get discouraged if you haven't figured it all out yet, because the majority of us haven't figured out where exactly it is we're going to go next. But just keep your eye on the prize. Keep figuring out those baby steps, how you're going to get there and believe in yourself. I love that, Lisa. It, do you, you deliver, brought so many little nuggets of wisdom here that if our listener, if a listener can't walk away with at least a handful then there's no saving them because you <laughs> you oh. you gave uh, so much here and 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 yeah. that's so so appreciated. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And the one thing I will say too, if you think about what we've talked about today, Evan, this is not complex stuff. This is not. And right. A lot of people, a lot of people will think that they can't overcome a life force because they 
they just, they just freeze. But if you think about it, all the things that I've shared today are very simple, but you know what they require? Awareness and consistency of application. So catch yourself if you're ta- doing that negative self-talk. Catch yourself if you're, if you're not believing yourself. Catch yourself if you're questioning your goals. It's the consistency of starting to do the things that I said and put them in place. And after you start doing them consistently, it's like riding a bike. I love that. It's so true. It's, it's so, and it's, it's, it's almost too, so simple that, that it's, that it's forgotten and it's overlooked, right? People are always looking for like the complicated, you know, splitting the atom answer. hundred percent. And I'm like, I'm mentoring a lot of women who have lost their partners and some men as well. And they think that there is some big profound something that they have to do to get over their grief. And I'm like, no, no, there isn't. You just have to keep saying there will be brighter days ahead. Time does help to heal. I never, I used to hate hearing that when I was raw in my grieving, but I've come to learn time does help to heal no matter what it is you're facing. And so it's just, it, it's so important just to, to remember um, these things because um, it's, uh, they're not, like I said, they're not a crystal ball. They're quite simple and they are so powerful. And there you have it. My conversation with the incredible Lisa Liso. This episode was produced by Eugene McCashew, and I'm your host, Evan Sequera. If you like this episode and want to support the Capitalize for Kids podcast, please subscribe to our channel, share the episode, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And if you'd like to learn more about Capitalize for Kids and the work that we do in supporting children's mental health, please visit our website at www.capitalizedforkids.org. And as we break for the holidays, wanted to take this moment to wish you and yours a happy and healthy holiday season. And though the bar is low, here's to hoping 2021 brings us more joy and happiness than 2020. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Capitalize for Kids podcast coming back to you in the new year.